Hey, my name is Lauren Frieder, and my husband Drew and I are lead pastors at Lift Church. We are on the eastern shore of Maryland. We want to thank you so much for joining us today, and we are believing that you will get a lift of encouragement. So let's 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 get with it. But before I get started, I really want to kind of take a few minutes to uh, just share a little bit about our story, as uh, Pastor Drew mentioned. Um, we first planted a church in, in, in August, 16, uh, August, excuse me, September 18, 2016. I've been in business for 20, 25 years, and I know I don't look like it. I started when I was five, uh, but, uh, but I was in business. God really put on my heart to, uh, to start a church. We started a church, and they've got this thing on social media called, um, you know, th- this is how it started, and this is how it's going. And then uh, we have a picture of how it started, uh, one of those pictures there. Or do I have my family picture first? I have my family picture first? No, nope, that's the next one. Go to the other one. There we go. That's how it started. So that's how it started in 2016. And I was like, God, did you really call us to plant a church? Um, it was awful. All of it was awful. We were in an old dilapidated building in the, in the hood in Philadelphia. And uh, I remember distinctly there was this one time I got up on the stage. And, and, and see, I didn't know anything about dark lights and all that kind of stuff like that. And, and so we, we only had one light in the auditorium. was no heat. I mean, no air conditioning in the summertime. So, so when we preached, man, I, I, like, it was like I was looking like T.D. Jakes, like sweating and everything. And, and I just remember one time I... Um, I, uh, I was preaching, I got up and I was five minutes into the message and this big water bug was walking on the floor, it was like this big, I'm not even lying. And, 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 and I said, man, if my wife sees this, man, we're never having church again. And so in my mind, on the left side, I'm preaching, but on the right side of my mind, I'm like, do I lie and just say, God, here's the word of the Lord? <laughs> like, what do I do in this moment? And so, so I just said, everybody, I just said, hey, let's just bow our heads and pray. And I walked off the stage, stepped on the bug, put it in my pocket, and I got back on the stage and kept preaching. Like, that was our church planning story. And then, of course, we met Ark, and then that other picture there is, um, is how uh, we relaunched March the 1st, and we relaunched with 450 people, uh, diverse uh, crowd. It, looks like, it really looked like heaven, and it was the joy of my life, and then something called COVID happened. So we launched, we had two services, and then we had to quickly pivot online. So pray for us, because we're working towards uh, reopening uh, in September. And then I have a picture of my family up here. Uh, that's my family. And um, I'm full of stories today. That picture was probably taken like five years ago. I cannot get my, I'm, it's bad parenting. I cannot get my kids together to take a new uh, updated family picture. So, uh, so, but that's our family there, my lovely wife. I, as I said, I was in uh, corporate, uh, corporate sales. Um, so I, I got some game. That's the only way that I could explain how I, I was able to uh, bag that young lady. So, um, and she is absolutely the best thing that has happened in my life. And when I met her, I knew two things. My kids were going to be beautiful and smart. So I said, I'm winning. So we're good. So let's get into this message today. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you and we bless you. I'm so grateful for this opportunity to share with these beautiful people, this beautiful community that represents Lift Church. My prayer today, Father, is that their faith would not stand because of enticing words of man's wisdom, but their faith would stand by your spirit and your power with signs and wonders following. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, all right, all right. I'm excited. So as I said, I'm, I'm from Philadelphia, and um, the, the title of my message today is Trust the Process. Anybody with me on that one? So, so okay, it sounds like many of you don't know what that means. Okay, so, so the Philadelphia 76ers, our beloved basketball team, I am a 4 for 4 guy. I love Philadelphia sports. I love my city. I just bleed Philadelphia. And, um, and so uh, our GM at the time, 
His name was Sam Henke, and he had this idea uh, to, uh, in order to build a, a championship team, you've got to really tear it down and you've got to accumulate assets because the only way that you could uh, get a franchise uh, changing uh, a player on your team was through the draft. And so through a series of years, what he did was purposely tank. He purposely uh, uh, made the team bad. And, and what he would do was get rid of talented players in exchange for players that were less talented and for draft picks because he needed to accumulate these draft picks because the more draft picks that you have and the worse your record is, is over that season, the better chances that you have of getting the top three picks. Because at the end of the day, when it's in, bas in basketball, the, the odds are if you can get a, a franchise-changing player in the top three picks, you have a great chance to building a team that is in the position to win a championship. So over years, he began this process because he had a vision, he had a dream, he had a hope to build this championship team. This was the best way for him to do it. And so what his actual uh, thought was is that, and this you may want to write this down, is that things may look bad right now, but we have a process in place to make it better. And this was his process. And then in about 2016, we, we got Joel Embiid. And, and then the follow, he was the third pick of the draft. And then the next year, we had the first pick in the draft. And we got Ben Simmons. We're not going to talk about that right now because Ben Simmons broke my heart. And I hope they, they trade him. So, uh, but that's a whole message for another story so, or another story for another day. But the point that I'm making is, is that the process is in place, but the team is better. We should have gone further this year, but circumstances prevented that. But the whole point is, is that he had a vision, he had a dream, he had an idea of how to build this championship team, and now he's got this process in place in order for that to accomplish, and it's in motion. And so what I want to share with you today is that this, is that maybe some of you, maybe some of you, like Sam Hinkie, you've, you've had this dream, you've had this vision, you have this idea for your life, but, but right now, things might just look bad. In other words, I don't know about you, but, but, but I've had dreams about what my life was supposed to be like, and those dreams started when I was a young kid, but, 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 but you know, and, and it's like a preview in a movie. You get so excited about, about the opportunities that, that lay before you, this dream to, to accomplish this, this God-given dream, this, this vision, this, this opportunity that God has given you, but, but, but for whatever reason, it, it may not be turning out the way that you dreamt that it would be. And, and in fact, it's, it's again, it's like a preview in a movie. And, and of course, you want to get your popcorn ready. Of course, you want to be in it. You're excited to see it because you played a starring role in this dream, in this picture, in this, in this opportunity that you have, this opportunity of a lifetime. But for whatever reason, things are just not turning out the way you thought it was. I know for me, when I remember when I was about 10 years old, I used to. Uh, when my father would leave the house, I would put on his shirt. I would button his shirts up. I would try to put on his tie. It's probably just like a, a ball of mess. I would, you know, I don't know how to tie a tie at 10. I would put his suit jackets on, and, and I would go to the bathroom, and I would shut the door and lock the door so nobody would disturb me. And, and I would stand on the stool around the sink, and I remember his business cards. He, um, he had Charles H. Poland, import and export. They were white with blue and red. Right? I, I still remember it to this day. And I remember I used to hand his cards out, and I would put it on the sink pretending that I was going to be a businessman. And I would look in the mirror, and I would just dream about people. And, and I thought that they were around a, a conference table. And, and so that's 
that's what I would dream. But, but like all of us, life happens. Divorce happens. Bad choices happen. Tragedies happen. And your dreams, they start getting derailed. And all of a sudden, now, I want to restate what I said earlier, is that things may look bad, but I need to let you know that there's a process in place in order for you to accomplish the dream and the vision that God has in store for you. And here's the thing, that the, the promise of hope that you had in your, in your heart and in your life, this dream, this vision that you had, now all of this promise, because of the things that have happened in your life, now the promise seems like it's a curse. And it feels like the devil has taken a wheelbarrow of dirt and just rolled it on, on your life and on your heart, on those dreams and on those previews. But I have something that I want to share with you today that I believe is, is, is a secret to trust in the process. And then if you can trust the process, I believe that it will change every area of your life. And I know preachers come here and they say that all the time. But I'm telling you that, that I'm from the lowest of the lows. Does anything good come from West Philadelphia? And all I'm saying to you is that if God can do it for my life, and if God can do it through the experiences that I've had in my life, I'm sure that God can do it for you. Are you ready to get into this? Let me, let me say it again. Are you ready to get into this? Like, like I don't know about you, but, but somebody needs, you know what? If it's this one person in here that I can help, that I can change their life, that we can change their marriage, that you can change your parenting, we can change your job, then I've done my job today. So let me ask it again. Are you ready to get into this? Awesome, awesome. I'm so excited. I'm so excited about this. And if I go too fast, I'm sorry, but I just get super, super, super excited about this. And here's the deal, right? Because when you get derailed from the vision and the dream that God has in store for you, what ultimately happens is this, is that you start making stuff up. I'm not telling you that it's right. I'm not telling you that it's wrong. I'm telling you that it's true. When you're not sure, when you get derailed and you're not sure the vision and the dream or how to accomplish the, uh, the thing that God has called you to do, you start making stuff up. And when you start making stuff up, people get hurt. Families get hurt. Churches get hurt. Communities get hurt. And there's nothing worse than this world except for being successful in the wrong assignment. Because you spend all of your time all of your resources, and all of your talent, only to realize that you've been traveling down the wrong road. Yeah. And for me, when, my, when I realized that my father wasn't really a businessman and he barely worked and, and how that affected us, it, it made me angry because sometimes I, I, we didn't have electricity in our house. Sometimes we didn't have heat in the wintertime. And it caused me to be an angry and, and, and a very uh, a violent guy. In other words, I would just go out and pick fights in the street because I was angry. I was upset. My, my father was married, but, but he was always uh, had somebody else on the side. And, and, it just, and the pain that it caused my, my family, my brothers and I, I, I started fighting out in the street. And there was one time I, I picked a fight that, ugh, that fight sent me to church because I ran up into a situation where a guy was about to kill me, put a shotgun to my head. And it was in that moment that I realized that my life is more than what I was experiencing right then and there. And so what I'm trying to say to you is this is that sometimes God uses uncomfortable moments. I'm not saying that he causes them, but he will use uncomfortable moments to get the very best out of you. 
Ooh, I'm excited about this. I'm excited. So, so, so let's, let's, let's get this because if you can get, get a hold of this, I promise you that, that God will change your life. And so I want us to kind of revisit a conversation that took place 2,000 years ago is when Jesus was talking to these 12 men and they got the same thing that I'm going to share with you and it changed the landscape of their society then and it's still changing it now. We get to experience the change because these guys got what I'm about to share with you was something that totally changed my life. So, so I want you to see this here. And so uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 16, verse 13 through 18 is my favorite passage of scripture. It changed my life. And um, and I think we have it on the screen here. Good, beautiful. This is the message translation version. And it says, when Jesus, this is going to sound familiar to you, but I'm telling you, if you listen to it with new ears and a new heart, I promise you it's going to change your life. When Jesus arrived in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what are people saying about who the Son of Man is? Now, I don't want you to speed through this because whenever you see names and titles or locations of places, they have some significance and, and you shouldn't speed past it. So Caesarea Philippi was one of those locations. It was about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I need you to understand that when Jesus called the disciples together and, you know, everything is going well, Jesus is creating miracles. He's doing miracles. He's signs and wonders are following. Everything is good. As a matter of fact, everything was like being in Salisbury. Maryland, right, at Live Church on a Sunday morning, whatever time it is today, at 1045, like everything was good. It's 81 degrees outside. It's a cool breeze. Like being with Jesus, like that's how everything was. And so Jesus begins to take them north to Caesarea Philippi. Why does he do this? Because he wants to expose them to the things that are happening. It's like leaving Live Church on Sunday and going back out into the world. And so Caesarea Philippi, there's three things, major things that are going on there. There's polytheism, which is, a fa- which is basically a fancy word for I worship idols. So they worship these handmade uh, gods and statues. And then there's this other thing uh, called pantheism, which was the god of Pan, which meant that they worship nature and they worship, ma- worship material things. That's, that's when you and I, we worship our cars, we worship our jobs, we worship our houses, we worship our W-2s, we worship all of these things. We invest and those things make us feel better than or a substitute for God. And let me just say this to you. This is free right now. That if you worship idols, I need you to understand that they are counterfeits. And at some point in time, they will always, without question, they will let you down because they always promise you something that they can never deliver on. That's free for you right there. So, so, and then they worship the Roman emperor. So in this case, this represents secular power. That's like worshiping whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. So it's just literally, Caesarea Philippi was just like what we experienced over the last 16 months. And so Jesus leads them there because he wants them to feel ex- uh, the, the uncomfortability of this environment. He exposes them to the spiritual darkness because he wants to bring out the best in them. I need you to follow me on this. And so Jesus asked them, what are people saying about me? I need you to understand Jesus, of course, knew who he was. He has his Apple phone. He gets the news app. He follows his Twitter feed. He gets his Bleacher Report updates. He gets his ESPN updates. Jesus knows who he is. But the question is, do you know who he is? Do you know? And so here's what their reply is. Their reply is, he says, some say he's John the baptizer. Some say he's Elijah. Some say he's Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And so look at this. Jesus pressed them. How about you? Who do you say that I am? 
He presses them. I need you to feel this tension because he puts them on the spot. Why? Because you and I are going to be in difficult situations. We're going to be in difficult circumstances. Some of us are feeling the pain of those circumstances right now. And it is in those moments that you need to know who Jesus really is. Tension. In those moments, who do you say that I am? In those moments, who do you say that I am? And look at this. Because what is most important is not what others say. It's what do you say. Because the decisions of the crowd, the decisions of other people can never substitute for your personal decision of who Jesus is. Are you getting help out of this so far? So here we go. So here's the thing. Verse 16, and this is where it gets really, really good. Simon Peter says, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus came back. God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of the books or from teachers. In other words, Pastor Drew didn't tell you this. Pastor Mark didn't tell you this. Your small group leader didn't tell you this. You didn't get this from books or out of teachers. He says, my father in heaven, God himself, look at this. He let you in on this secret. (laughs) This is so good. Of who I really am. And now, somebody say, and now. Come on, say it again. And now, come on, say it with your chest. And now, I'm going to tell you who you are, who you really are. Ah, this is so good. Here's what you want to write down. When we confess who Jesus is, he begins to declare who we are. Oh, you got to catch this. You got to catch this. I get excited. I'm sorry. So so, so Peter's or or Jesus' declaration is a direct response to Peter's confession. In other words, if you can imagine this, and I'm trying to put myself in the scripture, I I believe that that Jesus is saying, since you can, then I can. I'll say it this way. What what Jesus is really doing, if if I put myself in the picture, it's like two guys talking, and Jesus is saying, or I'm saying, Jesus, this is who you are. And then Jesus is saying, okay, Mark, I'm going to tell you who you are. See, there was a time, let me move this out the way here. There was a time in, in, in my life where, where, where I had to declare who Jesus was in my life or who Jesus is in my life. And then Jesus began to show me who I am. So when I was uncomfortable in my marriage and in my relationship, in order for Jesus to get the best out of me, I had to declare who he was in my marriage. And when I said, Jesus, this is who you are in my marriage and in my relationship, Jesus says, Mark, well, let me tell you who you are. I'm going to tell you that you're an Ephesians 5 type of husband. What's an Ephesians 5 type of husband? I need you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, what did Christ do for the church? He died for the church. What does that mean? Is that in other words, I've got to die to my preferences. I've got to die to all of the things that I know about what I think about marriages. And I've got to put her first. And it started changing my marriage. So I go from a marriage where it was uncomfortable and difficult and wondering why, look, are we even supposed to be married, to now we started a marriage ministry because of I'm declaring who Jesus is, and Jesus begins to tell me who I am. And so we worked on this thing called After the Vows, and After the Vows turned into a curriculum that they now teach at Bethlehem College in Bethlehem. Why? Because I began to confess who Jesus was in my marriage, and then Jesus began to confess or declare who I was. 
And when I started to see this picture, now I can live out the vision, the dream, the picture that God has in store for me. I'll give you one further. When I started having difficulty being a parent and, and, and leading my children, uh, Jesus, you've got to take control of this. Jesus, this is who you are. And Jesus says, okay, Mark, this is the kind of father that you are. And he began to reveal to me. He started to share with me. You know what, Mark? Train your children in a way that they should go. And when, and when they get older, they won't depart from it. So I'm like, okay, Jesus. And then he's revealed to me. Mark, you're, change, you're training your children in the way that you think they should go. They will walk away from that way every single time. But there is a way that I put in them. You've got to understand that way, and you've got to push them into that way because that's the way they won't depart from. I'll give you one further. Jesus, I'm getting ready to get fired from my job because this is too hard. This is too difficult. Lord, this is who you are in my life when it comes to my job. And then Jesus says, okay, Mark, this is who you are. And I start following the picture, following the dream, receiving the word. And he began to tell me that you are not the, uh, you're not the tail. You are the head. And he began to show me how to navigate this. Why? Because the job was too difficult for me to do. And I remember there were times when I drove home, got in the bed and cried and said, this is too hard. I cannot do it, but it was because of Jesus and his, and, uh, his declaration of who I am. It allowed me to get up and go the next day and the next day and the next day. And you know what happened? It wasn't just that I was successful at the company. It was successful in the industry. God started working these things out, but they're not for myself. They're not just for me. They were for me to use for the kingdom. But the point that I'm making to you is when you confess who Jesus is. In every area of your life, Jesus begins to tell you who you are. You don't believe me. Here we go. Go to, Je go to, go to Jeremiah chapter 33 and 3. This is the Amplified Version. It says, call unto me. It's confession. Call unto me. I'm going to answer you. Oh, this is so good. This is so good to me. And I'm going to tell you and even show you great and mighty things. Look at this. Things which have been confined and hidden, which you do not know and understand, and you cannot distinguish. That only happens when you call unto him. And when you call unto him, he begins to reveal to you exactly who you are. And so what am I saying to you, here to you today? I'm saying this. You may want to write this down. Confessing who Jesus is is not a one-time event. It's an ongoing experience. See, the problem is, is that most of us, we accept Jesus as our Savior. We, yes, we're going to heaven, but we struggle and we hurt and we have things that are going on in our lives that we never recover from because we only uh, connect Jesus to salvation. We never connect him to every area of our life. And that's what Jesus does. So this is an ongoing experience. Paul says, work out your own salvation. What does it mean? It's a process. You and I have to get into the process. And that process is inviting Jesus into every area of our lives. <laughs> and so here's the thing the greatest things that have happened the greatest moments that I've had in my life even though I share those things are not the things that happened to me they're not the things that happened for me but are the things that happened in me it is in those moments where, where I've laid on my face and I've prayed and I've asked God, like, God, these are the areas of my life. God, would you please take over? Would you please take control and then show me who I am? Show me what you want to do. And it's in those moments that God had revealed to me who I was. And it's in those moments that I gained the confidence to be exactly who God has called me to be. And so now all I'm doing today is I'm just walking out every day what he's already showed me in those moments of prayer. When I've just confessed, when I've cried and I've confessed. When I've said, God, here's my situation. Here's where I'm having difficulty. Here's everything that I'm going through in my life. Tell me who I am in these moments. Yeah. And so now I just walk through, live those things out. 
every day. And when they happen, I'm not surprised. Other people are surprised. But I'm like, you showed me that 16 months ago. Like, I'm beautiful. This is great. Awesome. And so here, let's keep going. And so here's the thing. As we keep reading in verse 18, it says, you are the rock. This is Jesus speaking to Peter. This is, again, going on after the, uh, the, the, the declaration. He says, you are Peter. It's going to get better. A rock. And this is the rock on which I will put my, or put together my church. Notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say on Peter, I'm going to build my church. Because Peter, and you get good teaching here, Peter was not rock-like. He was unstable. He was, un- he was not dependable. He was reckless. In fact, five verses later, in verse 23, the devil enters into Peter, and Peter starts rebuking Jesus. So he couldn't build his rock or his church on Peter. And unfortunately, that's where our Catholic brothers and sisters, they kind of miss it because they believe that Jesus built his church on Peter. But I want to tell you that Jesus never built his church on a person. He built his church on a process. (laughs) I'm excited, excited, excited. He built his church on a process. Why? Because when Jesus says that I'm I'm going to, uh, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, I need to understand that the church building didn't exist then. The church structure didn't exist then. The church government didn't exist then. So what was Jesus doing? What was he doing? What was he doing? What was he doing? He was saying that I'm going to call together a group of people, and I'm going to help them grow. Because when they confess who I am, I'm going to declare who they are. See, the the church, this is the first time that the word church was used in the Bible. And it's the word ecclesia. Some people pronounce it another way. Ecclesia. I'm from Philly. I'm from the hood. This is what we do. Ecclesia. But if you break that word down, there's two words, ek and kaleo. The word ek means to call. The word kaleo is the gathering. So how do people gather if they're not called? Do you see the theme that is running through this? The, the, The call and the response. The confess and the declaration. So what is the church? You are the church. Jesus is saying to you is that if I call and if you obey or if you confess and you and I declare, if you hear and obey, if you call and respond, listen, this is what the process is in order to build my church. I'm not telling you that Jesus is not the foundation. Jesus is the foundation. But when you build on the foundation, the foundation is built on the process. The process is hearing and obeying, confessing and declaration, and following through. That is a process in which God builds his church. This is what changed my life. You don't believe me. I know you don't believe me, but I'm like a lawyer, and I'm going to prove it to you. Because in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he says, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise like a person who builds his house on a solid rock though the rain comes in torrents and and the flood waters rise in other words though i have problems though i have difficulties though i get laid off though i get a a, a virus that whatever happens if you build your life (laughs) or if you listen to my teachings he says guess what you will not collapse because you've been built on the bedrock You can't build your house on the rock. You build a house on the foundation. And the foundation is a process. You build a foundation. You put up the beams. You build a roof. You do the sheetrock. You decorate it. It becomes a home. It's a process for you and I to experience those dreams and those visions that God has in store for us. It's a process. And look at this, finishing up in Matthew 16 and 18. 
this is the rock. Or this is the process in which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. Why? Because no devil in hell can stop a person who hears what God says and responds to what God says. Ah. What am I saying here? Is that he cannot stop a person who hears and obeys. He cannot stop your marriage. He cannot stop your children. He cannot stop your job. He cannot stop your church. He cannot stop anything because it produces an energy so expansive. And instead of playing defense, you now play offense. And the enemy cannot stop that. So what is our confession? What is our confession in the times I have left? What is our confession? Our confession is when we acknowledge that God is supreme, that he's able, and that he's willing to do all things. So I confess when, when my marriage was, was broken, when I was kind of going crazy with my children because I didn't have a good model to look at. I just started confessing. And even in those moments where I thought all hope was lost, I started confessing, look, this is who you are and I believe that you are supreme and that you are able and willing to do all things. And so what it means is when you confess is that I will no longer consider my present circumstances through my natural eyes, but I will begin to look through them through the eyes of faith. I will look through them through the eyes of God. And I believe that, again, God can do all things. I believe that he can do the impossible. And when I believe that he can do the impossible, it releases a power and it releases the wisdom of God on our behalf. And so I want to take you back to the guy that dreamt that he was a businessman looking in the mirror thinking that I was handing out, you know, or was handing out business cards, thought I was a business guy at around a uh, conference table. God said, that's not why I put you there. I put you there because I wanted you to make people's lives better. And so while I was working and and working my tail off and, and getting to the top of the industry. When I got there, because I'm a goal-oriented person, like I'm going to be the best at whatever I do. Like I'm working and I got there and when I got to the top and getting awards, traveling all over the world with the company and I got there and I looked around and I was like, you know what, this is not all that it was cracked up to be. It was a moment of uncomfortability. And he said, that's not why I called you here. I called you here to make people's lives better. And so I remember this guy. He's one of my dear friends. He's an Armenian guy. His name is Steve. And, and I remember he came to me. And, and because when, when, when you're successful at a, at a position, that people come and they want to talk to you. They want to know how to do it. And, and I remember he was struggling because his father had this law firm and he wanted to be a sales rep. And, and I remember that, that I got certain level of fulfillment because I started coaching him and talking to him. And, 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 and he left the company and he went to law school. He got his law degree and now he's running his father's firm. There was a young lady that was on my team when I was a manager. Her name was Jenna. And as she came, she wanted to be a sales rep. And she started sharing her, her life with me. And, and as a man, I started coaching her and sharing with her. Like, this is what, what, what I believe that God's called you to do. And, and so she left the company, went back to school, and she works in the athletic director, as the athletic director or in the athletic director a department at Princeton University. There was uh, my 
my, my wife's nephew, her cousin, he, he got disappointed because he never made it into, or he didn't make it at the time into Georgia Tech. He really had his heart desire. And he came to talk to me, and I began to share words of life with him. And, and, and now he's, a, he's an engineer at, at Toyota and travels all over the country. We were in Washington, D.C., and I said to him, man, I'm so proud of you. What happened? And he said to me, he says, Mark, I did everything that you told me to do, and that's why I'm an engineer. My own son? Wanted to play football. Transferred him to a football powerhouse in South Jersey. So he could play, so he could, because I'm like, you got to go to school. You got to get a scholarship because I can't afford to pay for you to go to school. And, 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 and I mean, and while I was watching my son practice, now I don't lie on my children. In fact, I'm probably a little harder on them. But when I saw how they were using them on this team, I was like, oh my gosh, we got something special. And in the second preseason game, a guy fell on his ankle, and basically, uh, he was out for most of the whole season. And so now all of his hopes and dreams were done, and I remember being in our basement in my office, and he was so sad. I think he felt, like, depressed. And I began to share with him what God was telling me to do, and, and as I shared it with him, I, he ended up going to school to Missouri, and he ended up walking on. He's actually on a track team at Missouri with an opportunity to play football in January. But why does this happen? Because see, back in the day, God gave me a dream. He put a dream in my heart. And when he put the dream in my heart, it got derailed. But when I started to confess who he was, and he began to declare who I am. Guess what happened? The guy that was in the mirror thinking he was a businessman, it was not a conference table. It was an auditorium. And what God called me to do is to be a pastor and to help people's lives get better. I want to say thank you for being a part of that dream because you are the people that I saw back in the day. So here's the two questions I have for you, and I'm done. What are you confessing in every area of your life? And what is Jesus declaring to you? And here's the big idea, and I'm done. Your finest moments are likely to occur when you feel the most uncomfortable but trust the process but trust the process did you get anything out of this this morning awesome awesome now here's what i want to do with every head bowed and and every eye closed every head bowed and every eye closed this is what i want to do like some of you there's someone here today that that you're like you know what i need to reestablish my relationship with jesus I need to confess who he is so he can begin to tell me who I am. And maybe there's some of you here today and and you're like, you know what? I'm giving God a shot. This is my last opportunity. I'm going to give you a shot. I'm going to come to church today and I need to connect with Jesus. And if that's you today, listen, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. And all I want to do, I just want to know who I'm praying for. So at the count of three, I just want you to slip your hand up all over the auditorium. Again, if if you're here today and you're like, you know what? I need to connect with Jesus I need him in my life or I need to reconnect with Jesus because things were going wrong in my life and I just thought that there wasn't it wasn't working so if that's you on the count of three I just want you to slip your hand up one two three I see your hand in the back I see your hand 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 my goodness this message was just for you you can put your hands down and then let me do this let me do this because this was me I'm a hard-headed guy 
I was like, look, I don't trust that preacher, man. I'm not sure if I'm re- he might ask me to do something crazy. And I told God when I got saved, I said, if you give me another opportunity, I'll do it again. I'll do it next week. But if the preacher gives me another opportunity, I know it's you. And if it's you, God's speaking to your heart. You're, you're having this conversation internally. That's God speaking to you. He wants to give you another opportunity. So if you should have raised your hand the first time, but you're going to raise your hand this time, just slip your hand up if that's you. I can't see. So if that's you. Awesome. Do me. I see your hand way in the back. That was just for you. Glory to God. That's how simple it is when we live our life as believers, hearing and obeying. That's it. So let me pray. Do me a favor, family. Let's pray together. Let's pray this prayer together so they're not feeling like they're by themselves. Let's welcome to the family. Come on, dear Jesus. Come on, everybody. Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son.